G'day everybody, welcome to another side of this marketing thing. Super pumped for today's episode. I have a very special guest on the show. He's a digital marketer from California. He's worked with some seriously big names in the sporting industry, like Dwight Freeney, ex-NFL champion, Max Kellerman, ESPN commentator, and got them some seriously amazing results when it comes to organic growth on social media. Hope you guys enjoy. Have you ever stopped to wonder? earth to people like us that were raised to go get a job after school just to realise that being at the mercy of some big company isn't for us. How do we market and build our own businesses so we get to choose our own destinies? That's the question and this podcast is the answer. Join me as I discover, learn and share the latest marketing secrets and strategies to help grow your online business. My name's Kyle Macker, and welcome to this marketing thing. Thing, 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 thing. My next guest is a digital marketer from California. He's an expert in social media. He's taken Insta accounts and doubled them. He also started an account from scratch and taken it to 130k in seven months. He's an expert in paid and organic strategies. Welcome, Jeff Shell. Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. Really appreciate your time, Jeff. It's awesome. Glad to have you here. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. For sure, mate. What's your backstory? How did you become involved in digital marketing? <laughs> so it's kind of a long story, um, but it's kind of necessary to be long because it's funny where it starts is, is not where you expect it to go, really. Okay. <laughs> but basically, when I was in college and I got to be a junior or senior, I, I needed to take a writing course for credit. And I hadn't taken a writing course since college or since high school. And I'd been on these forums that people started mentioning this website and I'm, I'm 34. So this is back in like 2008, 2007, 2008. Okay. These people on this forum start talking about this website bleacher report where you can like write for free and people will like edit your stuff. And these were sports forums and bleacher report obviously is a sports website. Yeah. So I kind of was like, all right, well, you know, I'll brush up on my writing, get on this website and see how I like it. And I ended up really loving it. And sort of to keep that part of the story shorter, I ended up blossoming on Bleach Report into one of their top New York Giants writers. Wow. And they actually were, they didn't really pay writers in the beginning. It was sort of a free website for people to just, anyone that could just write. But I eventually worked my way up and was asked to apply for this like CBS correspondent, basically a beat writer for the New York Giants. I was asked to apply. So I applied, I made it to the finals. I unfortunately did not get that position. But what spawned out of that was their featured writer program. Like, I think they called them featured columnists back then. Okay. So I, I became a writer for this website, and I was one of the first people they paid to be a writer. So wow. kind of started off that, and I was still in college. I was actually getting my accounting degree in college, so I was doing this on the side, making a little bit of money, yeah. um, and it just, it just really fell in love with it. And I was reached out to by this other startup called Rant Sports. They wanted me to come on and be a, an NFL writer, New York Giants writer, kind of jack of all trades writer. And so I, I did that. So I was doing Bleach Report and Rant Sports at the same time and just kind of decided that maybe this is something I need to pursue. And so I graduated my accounting degree, did not even try to get an accounting job. Yeah. And I moved I moved home. I was writing with you know for Bleach Report and Rant Sports. And then eventually the, rant, the company was called Rant Inc. at that time, Rant Media. They reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we're interested in bringing you on to be a business intern and do you want to move to California? I was like, where do I sign up? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I kind of just like joined this small team. We lived in a house in California. 
We moved initially to Discovery Bay, California, about an hour outside of Silicon Valley. Okay. We lived out of the house, worked out of the house. I kind of learned the ins and outs of running a website, how that all works, all the advertising. I started like helping out with our social media. I was still writing a lot. I was doing, you know, a lot of data analysis, learning Google Analytics, just sort of teaching myself a lot of different skills on the fly while also bringing in revenue with as being a writer. Yeah. And helping with the social media team and stuff like that. So basically that company kind of blossomed. It started as a sports website and it it grew into many different websites. I think at, uh, at the peak, it had about 14 different websites. Wow. They were all content websites. And actually, you know, our, our mutual connection, Clay, I worked with Clay. Yep. Actually, when he moved out to California, he moved into the house that I was living at. So we lived together for a little oh, while cool. yeah, and nice. worked together. And I kind of like, I would say like out of all the people that worked there, he's my favorite person. Like I, I love Clay. He's great. We're, we're great friends to this day. He was he's at my wedding. Guy. Oh, nice. Yeah. So basically, like we're, we're working together, kind of helping build this company grow up. And I'm doing a lot of different things. So I'm doing like advertising reporting. I'm doing social media reporting. I'm doing data reporting on all of our content and sort of helping the guys like Clay, who are managing writers, helping them make decisions on what kind of content we need to be writing. So a lot of content strategy, a lot of social media content strategy, just like a like I said, like a jack of all trades do kind of everything. And we were doing uh, traffic acquisitions. I was doing reporting on that. And so there's just a lot of different things. And eventually we had a social media manager and we had a social media team. And I was tasked with sort of analyzing our social media. Like, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How can we make it better? And I presented this report to our C-level guys, like the co-founders of the company. And like the next day they were like, all right, well, we're going to fire this guy and you're going to take over a social media manager. So so that's kind of the long story and how I got eventually into social media. And like we were doing a lot of paid advertising also. So I was doing the reporting on that, like doing all the setup. So figuring all that stuff out. So sort sort of teaching myself how to do those skills. Yeah, and I took over the I took over the social media team. We blossomed. We had about 150,000 followers across all of our social media networks, and by the time I left, we were at four million. Wow! So it kind of just took off from there, and just bounced around since then. Multiple different companies, but two companies ago was the one where I worked with Max Kellerman, which we'll talk about, and Dwight Freeney. Yeah. I was just like their social media manager for them, and then now I'm working for an esports company called Repeat. Okay. We, we actually host like Fortnite, League of Legends, Dota 2, Call of Duty Warzone tournaments. Oh, and we, wow. host them at very, we host them at very large scales. So we're like the only company in the world, I believe, who can host thousands and thousands of people into one tournament. Wow. And these tournaments are global. Like anybody can compete against each other. Oh, that's unbelievable. Yeah. That, that's that's yeah. amazing, isn't it, really? Yeah. And actually, the, the main company is based out of Brisbane, Australia. You're kidding um, me. That's where no, I'm from. Yeah, wow. got an office, got an office in Brisbane, and our the CEO of our company, who's also Australian, lives in the Bay Area, and then uh, I live I live in the Bay Area as well. So we're kind of all we're, we're a global company for sure. We got some guys who work in, from out of Egypt. We got another guy from Serbia, but yeah, that's it's like I said, it's a long story, but it's kind of necessary because it's like really you got, you got your accounting degree. How'd you end up here? So yeah, it's just a long crazy road, but. Yeah, that's how I ended up in digital marketing. Wow, that's fantastic. And you definitely showed a lot of initiative in learning a lot of different stuff as you went along and you thought that, well, I'm doing the writing, but I need to know how this works and that works. And that that's super cool. Yeah, we'll get into this, but I'm definitely data driven and 
it's been that way with basically any skill, like, you know, coming up with content strategy, coming up with social media content strategy, coming up with paid social media content strategy. Um, I'm, I'm not afraid to let the data, which is not biased, tell me what I should be doing. And, you know, with social media, obviously, you need to have some creativity as well. There needs to be a balance and coming up with kind of new fun things to do on your pages. But, you know, a lot of the success that I've had in the past has definitely been because just being analytical and being data driven. I think you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of people miss that or don't understand fully that I think 80% is science, the data, the numbers, and then, yeah, okay, 20% might be the creativity and the new thing. But you've got to do what the data is telling you to do, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. So, mate, I'd like to talk about a couple of your clients, and you did mention them briefly. So you've got Dwight Freeney, the ex-Super Bowl champion, and Max Kellerman, the ESPN commentator. And how you were able to grow their social media accounts so rapidly because you are a bit of a guru when it comes to organic growth. Now, the first platform I want to talk about is Twitter. You took Max Kellerman's account from 300k to 450k in seven months. Now, without giving away all the secrets, what's a few keys when it comes to growth on Twitter? So the funny thing is, is like, it shouldn't be a secret, right? It's like basically what I talked about already. It's kind of finding what works for your audience and leaning into it. Okay. So with Max, you know, he's he's on First Take, he's on ESPN Radio, he's on all these different shows, and I found that people loved his boxing takes. He's very, um, he's got great boxing takes. Obviously, anytime he talks about Tom Brady in the last couple of years, it's going to go viral. Okay. And um, he's really he's really good on on basketball too. So those are kind of like his. I mean, obviously, there's other things that that worked well, but those are just kind of like the main things. So basically, I let the numbers tell me what to do. So anytime he started talking about these topics and I was I would be watching his shows and stuff that perform well, I would take those clips, create content from them, either with like custom videos or infographics or anything. And I would just do that anytime I heard something that worked that he would talk about, because that's really what social media is about, is just find out what works and kind of lean into it. Yeah. And what really made his Twitter blow up is when he would do this while sporting events were happening and while topics were trending. So as you know, Twitter is like a companion app almost with like live events. People will be watching TV, they're watching TV shows, they're watching sports, they're watching anything and it's trending and they're kind of commenting on it themselves or watching other people comment live. And so I encouraged Max to post himself on Twitter during these events, especially boxing events and especially basketball games. Okay. He would tweet and these tweets would just go viral because everyone wanted to see what he had to say. So, and I would also, we can get into Instagram later, but like I would take anything he would do because he was mostly on just on Twitter himself. So I would take stuff that he would post on Twitter and reformat it for like Instagram or for Facebook. And it would work well too, because it's trending something that people want to hear from him. So like what worked on Twitter a lot would also work on Facebook and Instagram for him. Okay. So that's kind of like the, the key with Twitter is just like reacting to trends, kind of being ahead of it sometimes too, when you know something's coming out that's probably going to trend, which is really easy with sporting events, right? Yeah. So, you know, these sporting events are coming up it's like, hey, you know, have a couple of tweets ready in the chamber. So yeah, that was kind of the key with him. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. And it, and it all comes back to knowing who your dream customer is. What are they like? What don't they like? Knowing them so you know what they like is, is, is really right. key, right? Because you found exactly. with the data is that basketball and boxing were a big thing. So you just lent into that. No, super cool. Right. And like I, I would even... Sorry to interrupt, but I would even like go the other way too. Like, you know, when his football takes didn't really 
perform all that well unless it was like about specific people. Okay. So I would kind of like not post that as often and just mostly focus on what works. So, I mean, it's, it's not like the secret sauce. It's just like find out what works and lean and lean in, into it. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So Instagram. So you doubled Dwight Freeney's Instagram and then you started Max Kellerman's Instagram account from scratch and took it to 130k in seven months that's insane i mean that's got to be some sort of record it's actually 200k now how are you able to do that is there is there any tips you can give the audience when it comes to instagram and i I know you've touched on a few of them already but what are the what is there any differences with instagram that you could give the audience yeah so both for dwight and for max the what worked with them for instagram is kind of providing content that they're not going to get anywhere else it's almost like creating an exclusivity with your page it's like okay that's what instagram stories is about right so anytime so the nfl offices are actually in culver city when i was living in la at the time so and dwight was on set on the nfl network set and sometimes he was on these shows and so i would go and provide his audience with like you know, behind the scenes stuff that they're not going to get anywhere else. Ah, and I would no, purposely okay. not post it anywhere else. Okay. So like, it's kind of creating a little bit of FOMO, right? Yeah. Of and course. so for Dwight, particularly with any of his platforms also, like people wanted to hear anything about the Colts or the Falcons, which are his two main teams. Yeah. And I actually discovered through running his accounts that most of his fan base were actually living in Atlanta and living in Indianapolis. Like I said, I find what works and lean into it. So I would post a lot of Falcons content. I would post a lot of Colts content and try to just gear it towards that and encourage him to like wish a former Falcons teammate a happy birthday and stuff like that. So with his content in general, it's just like finding just that little piece of information, knowing where his fans are can help you dictate the content. Um, And with Max on Instagram, it was a lot of the same, but sort of gearing the content and making sure that you're posting something that's going to work on Instagram. So like, don't just take a a video, right? That you can post on Twitter that doesn't have any text or anything like that. And you can accompany it with a caption, make a video with text in the actual like image and put the video inside of it. So like a main quote from the video, right? And just put that underneath the video. And that's so it's in that square format, that nice square format for Instagram instead of a rectangle, which is what Instagram likes. And that kind of like, you know, it helps along with the algorithm, right? It's like if you're posting, if you're posting content that Instagram likes, it's more likely to be shown to more of your audience just based on how the algorithm works. Yeah. So I would, I would tailor a lot of the content for Instagram, and also again, provide as much of the insider content as you can on Instagram Stories. Like you know, there's Snapchat, but that's kind of like dying a little bit. And Twitter copied the IG Stories with their fleets, I think they're called, but like they don't really. I don't think people go to Twitter to see that content. I think they go to Instagram to see those IG stories. Yeah. And so like I would get people who work at ESPN to like send us photos because I was obviously the first take set for Max is in New York and I was working out of LA. So yeah. working with them to like get me insider content, send me some videos, send me some photos, send me some boomerangs and just kind of provide his audience with those, with that unique content that they're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. That FOMO, that not that exclusivity, not being able to get it anywhere else. It's super powerful stuff, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So what's the best platform when it comes to organic growth? Because correct me if I'm wrong here, I find Facebook terrible for organic growth. I think it's very much pay to play platform. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that answer could change based on what year it is. But I think right now, the best for organic growth is like Instagram and TikTok. Just personally, from what I've seen is people can still blow up on TikTok and especially with my 
our current audience of gamers, I follow a lot of like live streamers, like in professional gamers and stuff, and they're all posting their content onto TikTok and kind of moving away from Facebook. And I definitely agree. Facebook is definitely terrible for organic growth right now, where on my company's web social media pages, we're growing on Twitter, we're growing on Instagram, we're growing on TikTok, but we're not growing on Facebook. We're losing followers. And I agree. It's very much a pay-to-play pla- platform. Bit of a tongue twister. And yeah. Yeah. And it's it's kind of dying unless you're into like selling products, selling yourself, maybe getting into like live streaming, like video games, which Facebook has kind of leaned into a little bit with their Facebook gaming and their separate app for that. And it, like if you're willing to spend, then Facebook might be a good platform for you. But if you're just looking at organic, I would not even try it. No, absolutely. And I think it all comes down to the maturity of a platform. Because if you look yep. at TikTok and the new app at the moment is Clubhouse, I think that right. organic growth is going to be your messages are going to reach out far and wide and the app, the algorithm allows you to do that to reach as many people as you can whereas once they get and you said it before depends on what year it is i mean in a few years time tiktok will probably be really hard for organic growth and because mm-hmm. they're trying to monetize it so it just right. depends on how mature that platform is and like how long the cool factor lasts, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so it seems like TikTok's been around for a few years, but it's still kind of cool. Yes. People are still discovering it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're definitely a guy that listens to the numbers. I know you said they're important, but like I want to try and sort of tell the audience how important are these numbers and, and sort of where do they find them on these platforms and what are the numbers that they're looking for? Yeah, I mean, you definitely pegged me to a T. <laughs> I definitely listen to the numbers and... So much so that I kind of like pride myself on it when I'm like talking to prospective clients. And I think the big thing is to not get caught up in what your own ideas are, what you think will work. Yeah. You know, like people can get really stuck in their own ideas and like, well, why isn't this working? And like, keep trying it. And it's like, don't be afraid to move off of things quickly, which yeah. is something that I've done. And I let the data dictate a lot of my decision making because the data is not biased, whereas yeah. humans have some natural form of bias, obviously. And in terms of like where they can find them, like I definitely look at Facebook analytics program. I use Google analytics every day. Really what you want to look for is obviously your KPIs and anything that can help drive down your KPIs, right? So, you know, for example, I'm running campaigns that are designed to acquire users, get users to sign up for repeat.gg's product. Okay. You know, I'm not just looking at that KPI and whether or not that's going down. If it's stagnant, I'm looking at, okay, well, how can I adjust to make the cost per click go down? How can I adjust to make the CPM go down and reach more people at a lower cost? And how can I make the cost per like landing page view go down? Yep. And it's important to have the pixel set up so you know whether or not people are actually viewing your content or just kind of clicking on your ad. Whereas Facebook registers a click, even just pushing the share button, that's a click. But you yep. really want people to see your content, right? So it's looking at the reach, the landing page views, click-through rates, all that stuff. Yep. can really help drive down your KPIs. So that's kind of like what I look for. Yeah, absolutely. And you said it, man, because it's like humans are biased. They have their own thoughts on what should happen, but the numbers don't lie, right? And it's just right. sometimes you've got to let go of your ideas and not fall in love with a product or an idea. And it's just, well, it didn't work and listen to the numbers and try something else. I totally 100% agree with that. Super cool. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. I sorry to cut you off real quick, but I think yeah. that's like something that's relatable in sort of any industry is like 
your bosses or people above you making decisions kind of digging in their heels and something that doesn't work. I think a lot of people can probably relate to that feeling, but just data is the biggest way to kind of like say, look, like this is the way it is. This is why we should be doing this. So it's hard to say no to data. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And a lot of it comes down to, as you said before, massaging those KPIs. What's my CPC doing? Why is my CPM so high? How do I get that down? And just trying to tweak those numbers by different methods, right? Just to try and get those numbers looking a little bit better. Definitely. So I want to go across to Facebook. Now, you mentioned the Facebook pixel before. Now, I've asked this question a few times. My audience might get sick of it, but I'm, I'm curious in what your thoughts are. What do you think about the Facebook versus Apple battle, the iOS 14 update? How, how do you think that's going to affect Facebook advertisers? Uh, first of all, I mean, I definitely think it's, it's surprising because I'm on sort of like the Facebook side. I, I kind of make my living doing Facebook advertising and running people's social media for them and stuff like that. But I do think that it should be okay for someone to opt out of stuff if they want to. So like I, I'm, I'm definitely for that kind of freedom that Apple is providing those users. And the, the crazy thing, I've actually had discussions with a Facebook account manager recently about this and like without kind of getting into to their secret sauce, they've kind of taken some steps to help people combat this problem, help people like me, like who are running ads and sort of like be able to track and make sure the pixel is still going to work as best as they can uh, with some new settings and new features. Okay. And I I have seen some impact on some of the user acquisition campaigns lately, kind of our CPA going up a little bit, which I think might be related to this release. Right. But my biggest piece of advice is just not to assume you won't be affected because that's so dangerous. No, no matter what you've been told by your account manager, you know, reach out to them, get tips on how to handle it. And at the very least, like pull back budgets, which is something I've done just to see the impact and make sure like you can kind of adjust and see how the, the new sort of algorithm works moving forward. Yeah, no, interesting. So you've run ads for some brands that have got some seriously big ad budgets, upwards of a million bucks a month. What are the challenges you face running ads with budgets like that? I mean, it's really like the challenge to make your campaign successful will be there no matter what your budget is and which which anyone who's a Facebook ad- advertiser can relate to. Yeah. But it's just that pressure kind of amps up with the larger budgets, right? And it makes you want to like change things on the fly, like quickly. And when you're not getting the results you might've expected, but those changes might not be the right thing to do. So sometimes patience is key. Yeah. Uh, But the pressure is definitely something I felt running those massive budgets. It's like, you know, we need to hit these numbers. And if we don't, you know, like it's going to hit the fan, you know what I mean? So that pressure is just the difference maker with running these kind of huge budgets. It's kind of what drives my decision. Like, even if I have a client who comes to me and says, I want to spend $20,000 a month right now, let's go. I still, I'm hesitant to just do that right off the bat because test campaigns not only can tell you if what you're doing are going to work and limit the pain from spending 20 grand and it not working, but you can also use the history from that campaign to drive decisions for future campaigns, right? So, you know, if you have someone with 20 grand budget, you spend a thousand bucks, you get a lot of reach and then you can retarget those users. And so it drives down your CPA for your future campaign, right? So like the pressure is definitely something I feel, but it's also like... It can be helpful, if, especially if someone has a huge budget, just to make sure things are running smoothly before you kind of amp that up. Yeah, interesting. And that's the thing. Those small test campaigns are key, aren't they? Because if it's not going to work on a smaller audience, then it's definitely not going to work at the bigger ad budgets. Right. 
and you can try a lot of different things too, right? You can be a little bit more creative with what you're doing and you might discover a new strategy, right? So like something you've never done before and it works really well. And then you can kind of take that and move that to other clients or then you just like kind of amp up with that thing that worked. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right because with big ad budgets, there's that pressure there. Because if you get this really wrong and trying to be too creative – you're going to tank a ton of money. So yeah, those small right, tests, right. you know, and you, t- you don't want to be the guy that's on the end of that, right? Especially when you've been hired because of your supposed expert ability to make them work. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so what are the most important metrics to watch when you're doing your Facebook ad campaign? Yeah, I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier, but obviously yep. whatever goal you've set, the good thing about Facebook is you can run ads with different goals and the Facebook algorithm will do its best. And I found it to be very successful at getting what you want, right? So if you're doing a campaign for video views, you're looking for video views, but you're also looking to see what my CPM is, like I mentioned before, or what my, how much I'm paying for the reach I'm getting. And if you're doing a brand play with those videos, like reach could be the best thing. You're not necessarily looking for video views. You're just looking for your brand to get out there. So obviously whatever goal you've set for this campaign is something that you look at. And like I mentioned before, I'm always looking for things that will bring down that main KPI. So if you can change up your caption with some better copy to get your cost per click down, then your CPA or your cost per user acquisition or whatever your goal is might go up. And then your cost per landing page view that if you bring that down, then your CPA will be more successful and go down. And so just like making those little tweaks that can help those specific items will just like bring down the cost of your overall campaign. And so just like anything that can help with that, like reach impressions, cost per landing page view, cost per click, those are kind of what I look at mostly. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is more important? Do you think creative, the picture is more important or the copy is more important or both? That's probably a bit of a both answer. The the easy answer is both, but if I had to pick between the two, I would say the image is more important. I think the image is what captures the user's attention first and foremost. And then once you've got their attention, then they'll go look at the copy and what you're trying to sell or, or what you're promoting to them. But I definitely think using images and using, making sure your, your images don't have a lot of text and that they're high quality and that they kind of convey the message that you're looking to convey is probably the most important aspect of any Facebook advertising campaign. Like if I'm running something for someone and they send me a low quality images, I'll send it back to them. Like, I'm not going to start this until you get a better image. Like it's so important on Facebook, especially. Just a quick question. What is working better for you at the moment? Is it images or videos? So again, it's, it's sort of like a, straddling the fence answer yeah okay but it depends on what you're after right so if you're trying to get people to click through to the website you can get people to see a video for much much less cost but the click-through rates on videos are way lower so if i'm trying to get users to go to a website i would prefer to use images but if i'm doing a brand play or if i'm trying to gather an audience say for for like a retargeting campaign i can start with a video and you kind of gather, you know, you get the most reach out of a video on Facebook, yeah. then you have a bigger audience to retarget once you're kind of ready to start the bigger campaign. So it, it kind of just depends on what you're after. But again, so like if the brand play, the videos just work better. And if I'm trying to get traffic, I'm trying to get people to, to buy a product, I would tend to lean more towards the images. Yeah. Awesome information. Now, yeah. just a quick question here I've got. What do you think works better? Because I've heard mixed sort of responses from different people do boost posts work on instagram or are they just a complete waste of time 
So I would never recommend anyone using boosted post because it's just like taking a shortcut and yeah. it's not as good as getting nitty gritty into Facebook ads manager and using all of the tools that Facebook ads manager has, yes. which you can promote to Facebook and, and Instagram through this platform. But yes. boosted post, it's just, I've come across it so often people reach out to me for help on their paid social media ads and they tell me, oh, I've been boosting my post and not really getting a whole lot of traction. Like, well, that's because you're just using generic targeting. You're not really using the best capabilities you have at your disposal. So people should not be using Boosted Post if they can help it. They should be using Facebook Ads Manager. And I know it's a little bit intimidating to go in there for the first time, but like once you get started and get using it, it becomes very easy to use. Yeah. It's very user-friendly once you've kind of gotten past the kind of mountain of information that's thrown at you from yeah. Facebook Ads Manager. Yeah. Like in all the different things you, you can do with it. But yeah, I, definitely using Facebook Ads Manager is way more, um, it's, just more, it's just a better way to do it than Boosted Post. Yeah, absolutely. And it all comes down to being, showing the right stuff to the right people. And Boost Post just don't do that. It's too generic. And you right. said it before, it's a bit of a shortcut. You want to mm -hmm. be targeting the right people, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So hypothetical scenario, say I'm a new small business owner who's bringing out my first product. It's a new type of muscle rub for sports injuries. What's the first step in starting this type of campaign for like a new product? I mean, I would definitely use Facebook's page insights tool to kind of see what other companies are doing. So you can actually like watch other pages and you can see how successful their posts are and get a good competitive analysis on other companies who are selling muscle rubs. Yep. Now, you, you probably won't get any insights into their advertising unless you're shown an ad from them, right? Yep. But you'd see what kind of copy they're using, what kind of imagery they're using, and kind of see if their engagement is high and if their following is increasing. There's definitely these little tidbits you can get from doing that competitive analysis. So I would do a competitive analysis first and foremost. Yeah. And then I would get into Facebook ads manager and just kind of do some research on any interest targeting and how big I can make my audience or how targeted I can make my audience. Facebook has, I'm assuming hundreds of thousands of different interest targeting that you can use um, at your disposal. And I'm sure that there's something for this exactly. And then you can also target like behavior. Yeah. So maybe people who are into fitness or things like that, like that would be an interest targeting, but like there's behavioral targeting, like people who are buying fitness equipment or stuff like that. Yes. So you, you can just go in there and just see any kind of demographics, any behavioral targets you can use, any maybe like shopping habits you can try to use. That's the first place I would start for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. On the website or anything like that, would you go put the pixel in straight away so it's gathering data or is, I mean, with this new update, is that pretty pointless? No, I would I would definitely not say it's. I would put the pixel in right away. And honestly, you can do that with Twitter too. I would recommend putting Twitter's pixel in there and getting Google Analytics on your website. Um, it's all coming back to the data driving your decisions, right? So I would make sure that you're recording as much information as you can. Capturing emails on your website would be a good start too. Yep. For selling products, the Lookalike audiences has it hasn't selling products it works, but like for stuff that I've done in the past, it lookalike audiences honest, honestly hasn't haven't worked as well for me. Okay. But I've definitely heard of a lot of other people who sell things on Facebook or online and using their customer base and creating these lookalike audiences and getting people who are like their current audience and getting them to buy the product, right? So I would definitely say using the Facebook pixel, using the Twitter pixel, using Google Analytics, all the information you can get and capturing emails would definitely be part of that first step as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I find some guys rave about lookalike audiences, and yeah. but a lot of them have been selling physical products. So, yeah. So, what are the main problems you see business owners make on social media? It's funny. We kind of already touched on this as when I think about this question is just like I said before, taking shortcuts. Yeah. And that's just like like using boosted posts instead of doing it in Facebook ad manager because, hey, I can do the boosted post right from my cell phone. And they're not willing to take that extra step to get in front of their computer and open it, Facebook ads manager. They like the fact that they can just do it right from their phone. So that's what they do. Yeah. They end up wasting money. Yeah. There's just so much more targeting and demographic options that people don't even realize until they open Facebook ads manager and see all the capabilities that it has. Yeah. And also just the theme of the kind of the conversation is not trusting the numbers. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, kind of digging their heels into what they think is going to work. Yeah. Seeing that something works for someone else that might maybe for whatever reason it didn't work for you. You just got to come off that. And it's hard for people to let go, really. So those are a couple of the big problems that I see business owners making. Yeah, absolutely. That's Mm -hmm. so true. And I think that's really good advice. And I think you have to listen to the numbers. And it's like any business. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Just change because we're going online now. It's You've got to listen to it in any business. So Right. Absolutely. Yep. Jeff, that was super interesting, mate. You're super knowledgeable when it comes to digital marketing and social media and how to trust the numbers. Really great chat, mate. I'm out of questions. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Kyle. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. And for the audience, if you'd like to get a hold of Jeff with your help with your social media strategy, head over to his LinkedIn profile, Jeff Shull. So it's J-E-F-F. S-H-U-L-L, where you can speak to him about your social media strategy. And he'll definitely be telling you to trust the numbers. So, mate, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Of course. Thanks again, Kyle. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Until next time, see you later.